I think a lot of times people have sort of a generic faith. You know, they have sort of like a generic general belief in a God. Yeah, it's probably God out there. They have a generic sort of general belief in Jesus. Yeah, Jesus, I guess he was a good person. He probably rose from the dead. They have a generic sort of hope. Like, oh, I hope everything works out okay. Uh, they pray generic prayers. God, kind of do what you're going to do, and I hope it works out. And you know, they have a generic faith, and they have a, a generic gospel. Just uh, love God and love everybody. So we're just trying to be kind of nice to people, and, you know, if you're bad, then God won't like that. But he has grace, so it's not that big of a deal. But just try to, you know, hang in there, and Jesus will sort it out. This sort of generic faith, this general approach to faith is um, going to always leave us feeling lacking. It's, it's going to always end up with general and generic sorts of results. And you pray sort of a general prayer, then you get sort of a general answer versus a specific prayer for a specific answer. You have a sort of a general idea. I think God wants me to kind of be a good person, I guess, versus specific knowledge of what God calls us to be and to live and to do and to, to pray. Like this specific knowledge of God actually is what makes our faith feel personal, makes it feel relevant to us, makes it feel exciting because specific things that, that are inherent to only our lives could happen. But we almost don't understand that God loves us individually. We, we don't understand that the Bible is meant to be specific knowledge about God, and we don't dig deeply enough into it to know specifically what it says. So we're left with this sort of general summary, even, you know, Jesus's greatest commandment and the second like it. This sums up all the law and the prophets. Love God with all your heart, soul, strength, mind, and love your neighbors yourself. Well, that was meant to be a summary but it wasn't meant to be a substitute of everything that God actually said. Jesus himself in the Sermon on the Mount said, I haven't come to do away with all the law. I've come to fulfill it and satisfy it because who can keep all those laws? But those are God's laws. And who can satisfy God? Because God is a just God and has right and wrong and things he calls us to. And so Jesus wasn't doing away with anything that God had established. He was coming to to explain it. He was coming to atone for it and for our sins. He was coming to fulfill it. And we'll see that verse in just a minute. Um, but it, it, it sort of, I think we settle too much for this general sort of faith. And in a way we do it to kind of make ourselves feel good about ourselves. If we have a general expectation of what God wants, then we can sort of generally feel good about ourselves because we generally sort of did it. But when we specifically know the things that God calls us to in the areas of our hearts and our minds and our mouths and our wallets and our time and our energy and our talents, then it becomes very specific to us to know, are we honoring God in those ways? And it's not general anymore. I think the, the general sort of thing can become an, an escape clause for us to say, you know, I'm kind of doing a pretty good job. Um, G.K. Chesterton, a theologian uh, of some renown, you know, wrote Orthodoxy, describing the Christian faith. He has a great quote. Uh, he said, The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. Let me say it again. The Christian ideal, the way of walking with God, Jesus' way, the Bible, God's truth, Christianity, apprenticeship to Christ, has not been tried and found to be wanting, mean lacking or failing. No one's trying and saying this doesn't work. 
it's been found to be too difficult and it's left untried. And so we summarize the law sometimes in kind of a subconscious way for us to be able to feel like we're keeping it. When instead, that's depersonalizing the gospel, making it some generic general sort of thing instead of God's word to us. God wants to answer your prayers for your situations. He wants to use your gifts and your imagination and your creativity and your love and your joy to spread the good news of his kingdom. And you can't make it personal if we keep it generic. You know, you could have sort of a generic general belief in a God and not actually be saved at all, not be a Christian at all. You know, if you believe that there is a God, but aren't sure what you think about Jesus, you're not Christian, you're deist. And there are many religions of the world that fall into the deist category. Deist, uh, you know, standing for the name God, a deity, right? Deist. So we believe in a God, but Jesus, as God come to earth to reveal who God is, to show us God, to connect us with God, to forgive us, to atone, to judge, to deliver, uh, that's Christianity. We apprentice to him, not just acknowledge that there is a God. And so what we see in the Bible, specific revelations from God, and I'm not talking about the book of Revelation, although that's a form of it, but there's a bigger category of revelation, which just means God revealing something, God uncovering, that's specifically what the word revelation means, God uncovering something. When when we kind of bump into something in a general way, we look at creation and we say, oh wow, you know, something must have made this or designed this, this is awesome, we, we've made it to deist at that point. <laughs> and when God uncovers us and opens our eyes and see, wow, there's a God who made this with order and design and love and is seeking us as he reveals himself to us and we see him, not just a generic God, but specifically Yahweh, Elohim, God, in the pages of scripture and in, in all his encounters with people, how he revealed and uncovered himself there. And then in Jesus, and we apprentice ourselves to him and our eyes get open, it gets uncovered. This revelation of God, this insight, this aha moment of God, then we begin to become believers, become Christians versus deists. It's this act of revelation. And, and there's a theological term for these two sorts of revelation. One is general revelation and the other is special revelation. These are theological terms meant to describe first like creation and the general way that any human, whether they've ever heard the name of Jesus, whether they've ever read the Bible, they can encounter the fact that there's order in the universe, that there are seasons, that there are life cycles, that there is purpose, that there's right and wrong. And different people who are seeking in a general way, general revelation, could come to different conclusions. And I think this is what world religions are, aside from Christianity. They're man's attempt to make sense of this general deist sort of acknowledgement. There is a God. So general revelation can sort of bring you to the doorstep, but it's recognizing that there's one God and that that God sent his son to show us who he is and to save us. That's special revelation that opens our eyes to say, oh, this is who God is. We can know God. Christ has made him known because Christ is God in human form, so I can get it now. And so there's general revelation, there's special revelation. And general revelation is always going to feel generic, it's going to feel vague. Special revelation in the pages of scripture is so specific, it's so customized, it's so personalized, it's for specific people in specific situations. And when we walk with Jesus, his advice to us is not just sort of, eh, summarize stuff and make it sort of good. 
It's like, no, that's not supposed to be a substitute for all the specific things that he gives us tools for how to live this life. Tools to spread the good news that God loves the world so much who is willing to send his only son to die for the world. So in our motif, our model of understanding faith as an apprenticeship to Christ, these specific tools that Jesus gives are kind of custom tools that he wants to teach us how to use. And, and I could imagine that anyone in the world through general revelation could come across sort of like a generic version of tools. Sort of be nice, don't hurt, don't murder, don't lie. Some of these bigger categories of right and wrong. Uh, but when God opens our eyes specifically to what it looks like for him to work in our hearts and we start to really challenge, well, what are my thoughts and my motives? Well, now we've gone beyond the generic be good and we're trying to analyze and look in God's word and listen to the Holy Spirit and listen to what Jesus taught and say, how is the condition of my heart? Where's my soul in relationship to God, in relationship to my neighbor? And then we start to dig deeper and all of a sudden God's word becomes specific. So we don't just need generic tools for faith. You know, you pray a generic prayer, you get a generic answer, but we need Jesus to teach us customizing all these tools in scripture to our lives so that we end up praying and living and behaving and speaking specifically in a way for our lives that will be the way that Jesus teaches us too. And so that's kind of what I would like to do for our conversation here. I'd like to look at Deuteronomy 5 and then Matthew 5. And at the very end, we'll go to Ephesians 5. So we've got three different places in the Bible, all chapter 5. That's where we're going to focus for this conversation um, but Deuteronomy 5 has the Ten Commandments. So I believe this, as God is leading his people forward, is him first saying, here are the categories. Here are the general tools that I want you to use. And then you know, the whole law is the, the specific way for the Jewish people that God customized those categories of tools. You know, think of the Ten Commandments as ten tools. Ten, it's like one's a saw. The category of saw, category of screwdriver, category of wrench, of hammer. And then the laws for the Jewish people like, what kind of hammer, what kind of saw, what kind of tool, how do we use it in our culture, in our day and age? And Jesus did the same thing. He said, this is what God says. These are the categories of tools, but you need to become skillful in your day, in your life for implementing these. And instead of a general sort of thing, like don't murder people, which we can say, okay, we satisfied that. We're not murdering anybody. He says, yeah, but do you hate people? Let's make this category of saw very specific to the condition of your heart. And so that's what we find in Matthew 5. Deuteronomy 5 is the giving of the law through Moses. Matthew 5 is Jesus giving the law of love God, love your neighbor. He's explaining grace. He's explaining kingdom concepts. These are the tools, the specific tools. You know, your marriage doesn't need a very generic sort of be nice to each other. It needs very specific. This is the way to use God's skill set to implement his Holy Spirit, to allow him to work in you, in your attitudes and in your speech. And when it's specific like that and Jesus guides our hands as we're using the tool, then our specific marriage will have specific answers to prayer in a way that a generic be nice to our husband or wife is never going to bring us deeper. You know, spiritual maturity is just the skill with which we have come to learn how to use the tools which Jesus has given us. You know, he's already given us Second Peter 1 says, everything we need. So we've got the whole access to the workshop. But if we're just saying, oh, we need a saw, 
and now we're trying to do a precise cut on a piece of wood and all we have is this huge gigantic saw that's going all over the place, we're not going to be effective. We're not going to be spiritually mature because we haven't sat down with the master and had him guide our hands and said, here's the tool I'm giving you. This will work, I promise. Do it with me. Here, do, let's do this together. Did you learn? Did you see? Like, that's what apprenticeship is with Jesus. So Deuteronomy 5, we're going to look at it briefly and, and, and kind of move over to Matthew 5. Uh, and I encourage you for this conversation to read through Deuteronomy 5, read the Ten Commandments in their entirety, see the categories of tools that God laid out as the things that he wants us to use to build his kingdom on earth. And then read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, because that's the Sermon on the Mount. That's the most concise, comprehensive collection of all of Jesus' teachings. They're all in the Gospels, and then the letters in the New Testament, you know, elaborate upon them more. So there's more than that. But if you're looking for a concise, compact place, you go to the Sermon on the Mount, hear Jesus speak for himself. It's a beautiful record of so many of his teachings all in one place. And if you said, well, how am I supposed to know everything that Jesus taught? And you look at the whole Bible as a whole, and you're like, well, there's Old Testament, there's New Testament, there's Hebrew, there's... I can, I can tell you, go to three chapters in the book of Matthew and get a power-packed sample, summary, specific advice from Jesus on what his skill set is, what tools he's going to teach, uh, and it'll, it'll jumpstart your faith. So that's where we're going. The law through Moses... The uh, truth and grace, as Romans puts it, through Christ, Deuteronomy 5, Matthew 5. <clears throat> so, in the very beginning of Deuteronomy 5, it says, Moses summoned all of Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and rules that I speak in your hearing today. What does Jesus do in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 1? <clears throat> Seeing the crowds... He went up on the mountain, and when he had sat down, his disciples came to them, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, and then he continues on. Both Moses and Jesus are doing the exact same thing. They're sitting down in a seat of authority and teaching the people of God what God wants from them. And it isn't just sort of like, God loves you, it'll be okay. It's specifically... He wants to work in your life today. And so Jesus gives specific advice on how to, to customize God's good news for the people in his listening. And he refers back to these categories and says it wasn't just meant to be a generic thing. It's specific. So as you read through Deuteronomy 5 and as you go back then to Matthew 5, 6, and 7, you're going to see these overlaps. So if I were to pick one, uh, let's pick first Deuteronomy 5 and verse 17. It's a simple statement by Moses. He's saying, this is a tool that God's giving you that will make it go well with you. This will help you. This will honor him. This will honor and bless your neighbor. This will make your life fruitful and happy. Specifically, you shall not murder. So there's the category, the Ten Commandments, the Ten Categories. But it's not meant to be this generic sort of thing, just don't take someone's life. It is that, but it's an umbrella for all the ways that we can dishonor God in this way. All the ways that we kill one another. And Jesus makes that clear. He said in Matthew 5, verse 21, You have heard it was said to those of old, he's quoting the Bible because this is all of God's word from beginning to end. It says the same thing from one to one. This Bible is unchanging. This Bible gets deeper and deeper and more specific as it goes, but it starts exactly where it ends. 
as God unveils his progressive revelation, this special revelation, and opens our eyes more and more and more. And eventually we'll all see God face to face and our eyes will totally be opened. That's what 1 Corinthians 13 says. Then we shall know in full as we are fully known. So it's getting more and more unveiled. But Jesus takes it deeper and he said, You've heard it said you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, so my apprentices following me, this is what I'm teaching you. This is a skill that you need to know. I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there, go and be reconciled, and then come back. In terms of court, in verse 25, he says, Come to terms quickly with an accuser while you are going with him to court, lest that accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny. So Jesus says, you heard that it wasn't murder. And that's true, <clears throat> but that's a category. That's the generic faith. So if you go through your whole life never killing someone and feel that you've done good, You've satisfied God's law. Did you not understand what he meant by that? You have a general life, a general faith. You get general results. You go through your life insulting people, calling people fools. You go through life hating people in your heart. You go through life judging your brother, your friend, your neighbor, your siblings, others, despising them in your heart. And then you get to see God and you're like, look, I did it. And he's like, well, that was meant to teach you. Did you apply that with skill, that, that lack of murder? Did you verbally slander and destroy someone's reputation? Did you hate and despise someone in your heart? That's what I meant by do not murder, not just physically, but also in your heart and your mind fully. Love God, heart, soul, strength, mind, love your neighbor, right? So that's what God's looking for. And we can summarize it and make it easy to keep the law. Love God, love your neighbor. But when it comes right down to it, we're supposed to apply it in a specific way to our lives. Right now in our country, Republicans are hating Democrats in their hearts and Democrats are hating Republicans in their hearts and non-Christians are hating Christians in their hearts and Christians are hating non-Christians in their hearts and people in different denominations are hating one another in their hearts and people are hating police in their hearts. Like what? This is not how we're meant to live. And if we think that we're doing a general sort of good, but we don't apply it to the areas like hatred or killing someone's reputation, if you murder someone's reputation, but you don't kill their body, is God pleased with that? Is that what it means to walk in the narrow way of love? Do we look like Jesus if we slander online? If we talk about people behind their back and we just murder them socially and in their reputation, are we guiltless? No, Jesus says, let's apply it specifically. Are you hating anyone in your heart right now? Am I despising someone, looking down on someone? Am I talking badly about someone? Well, then I'm breaking that commandment, do not murder. So I can't let myself off the hook. I need to come to Jesus with that resume of failings and say, ah, uh, please. He's like, okay, good. Well, let's put this into practice. How can you turn the hate that's in your heart into love for your enemy? Now nah, we're getting practical. How can you love the spouse that has been unfaithful? Because that's another one, right? We won't go into that, but I believe that uh, verse 18 in Deuteronomy 5 says, you shall not commit adultery. But if you go to Matthew 5, 27, 
Jesus says, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. Again, this is a category. This is like a, you know, the, the set of wrenches that we have. These are the right tools for the job for life. Don't do this because this will wreck your life and wreck others' lives and wreck your children's lives. So, and wreck your relationship with God. So this is the skill set that you need, the category, you know, a wrench. And Jesus is saying, yeah, but you have heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I say to you, my apprentices, that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better to lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. So Jesus is like, yeah, okay, don't commit adultery. But if you stay married to your spouse, but are unfaithful in your heart, that's still going to kill your marriage. You're going to lose your love. The feelings of guilt and shame are going to divide you from your spouse. You're going to grow apart. You're going to despise them. You are unfaithful in your mind. That's the same thing that falls under the umbrella of this category of faithfulness to your wife. Faithfulness means no pornography. Faithfulness means no office affairs, even if they don't get physical. Faithfulness to wife means not looking longingly at some other woman and looking and despising your own wife and wishing she was more like this one or loving that one secretly but kind of keeping it under wraps. Those are all unfaithfulness. It's the same thing. So it's easy to say, oh, I've never been physically unfaithful, but have we ever seen anything that was pornographic? Have we ever lusted after someone. Jesus is like, your eyes are going to get you into trouble. Be faithful in your heart, in your eyes. And when you're not, he said, bring to me a resume of all your failures. I can atone for that. We can work on that. But saying that you've satisfied, love your neighbor because you've never done anything about it does not let us off the hook when you've thought about it every single day. So we bring our sins to the Lord and we just say, Jesus, forgive us. And he says, good, okay, let's get back to the workshop. Here's how you work with that. Here's how you begin to elevate your wife or your husband in your mind, how you begin to esteem them, how your faithfulness can become adoration for them. Here's how you avoid the knots in the wood, those temptations. These are ways to avoid, you know, there's things your eyes don't have to see. And if you never see them, they might not be as much of a temptation. So, you know, close your eyes to certain things. Don't look in certain ways. But temptation will always be there and the flesh is weak, even though the spirit is willing. So Jesus is just there working with us. And spiritual maturity is knowing how to skillfully, not just avoid adultery, but skillfully avoid any kind of affections that will draw our heart away from. And skillful means building our affections for our spouse so that our marriage thrives instead of being divided and that our heart really longs for that person with a deep longing instead of putting up with that person or secretly mocking that person, secretly being disgusted by that person. It's got to come from the heart. It's got to come from the heart and that's where Jesus is getting. It's not just a category, it's specific. Well, what if our specific prayers for our anger? What if our specific prayers for our lust? What if our specific prayers for our marriages? What if our specific prayers for our politics were being answered by Jesus in specific ways and we were gaining skill? Now we're living the gospel as apprentices of Christ. And we're going to find more and more that it's trickier because we're getting more specific. Remember Chesterton's quote? It's not that this way of Jesus has been tried and found wanting. It's been that it's found difficult. It's left untried. But it'll work. 
apply ourselves to the trade. Let, let him teach us how to do everything. Let him compensate for all of our failures. Let him love us as we bumblingly try and it'll work. God's word works. So you see this continues. It happens with anger. It happens with uh, oaths. It happens with everything. But what you're going to see when you get to... Um, where is it specifically? Uh, it is in chapter 7 of Matthew, verse 12. Whatever you wish others would do to you, do this to them. This sums up the law and the prophets. This is the golden rule. This is very, very, very important that we get this straight. Because when Jesus, when the Father God reveals a special revelation, uncovers to the people of Israel his categories of law, he does it in terms of thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. You know, it's, it's a lot of don'ts, don'ts, don'ts. And sometimes we turn that into a legal approach of as long as I avoid doing all the bad things, don't murder, don't lie, don't covet, don't whatever, don't, then I'm good. And Jesus is like, yeah, you can spend your whole life avoiding those bad things, trying not to be a bad person. And you may not yet have lived powerfully and beautifully and joyfully and influentially. The gospel, influentially. The gospel is good news. It's not just... You can join Jesus and avoid bad news. Join Jesus and avoid hell. Get your tickets here. It's if you live this way, you will find fruit and the kingdom will grow. There's love and joy and peace in the Holy Spirit. This is the beauty of the gospel. And so Jesus says, don't just avoid doing anything that you wouldn't want done to you. It's not a prohib prohibitive statement. It's an action statement. Do unto others, the golden rule. Do. So that's a progression in our faith from all the don'ts. Oh, I can't do this. I can't see this. I can't drink this. I can't smoke this. I can't say that. But Jesus is like, ah, yeah, okay. Those things are actually going to get you into trouble. They're, they're going to wreck your life. So fine, great. But do this. Speak this way. Say these things. Sing these things. Pray these things. Love this way. You know, don't settle for generic tools from Walmart. Get customized tools from Scripture that you can apply to your life. And then all of a sudden, God will be answering your prayers. And you see Him at work in your life and my life. And it gets exciting because the doing is where the life is. We've been set free from the law. And so good, those are boundaries. Recognize them. But these are actually tools if we implement them. We will learn how to live in a way that bears fruit instead of just avoiding the things that will kill us. We live by grace. We live by faith. So Jesus takes it one step further. And then he takes it another step further. And this is the very beginning of Matthew 5. Again, I'm not going to read it all. We don't have time for that. But I want you to read it all. Read Matthew 5, 6, 7. Get this, this master class from Jesus on what he teaches. You recognize he starts this whole teaching as he sits down on his kind of legal seat. He sat down on the mountain, he taught them, he's the judge, he speaks with authority. That's what Matthew 7 says. They were surprised he spoke with authority just like Moses did. What does he start with? He starts with attitudes and character. Be this way. Blessed are those who are humble. Blessed are those who are meek and self-controlled. Blessed are those who hunger. Blessed are those who are merciful, who are peacemakers, who do put up with persecution and who live and even thrive under it. Blessed are those. Those are those who have the character of God, the identity of Christ, who live for Him. Those are the ones who are actually being Christ. He's living through them. They're being Him. So it kind of moves from don't do this to now here's the way to do it. But Jesus doesn't leave it as just 
an ethic of action, a, a, a moral code. He's like, you get to become this and then you'll be blessed. Wouldn't it be great when as we walk with Jesus, he makes us into peacemakers. Be that way and then we'll be blessed for it. Not just try really hard to make peace and, and use this tool. That's a gospel of works. Jesus wants to take us further and actually transform us by the renewing of our mind. Well, how does our mind get renewed? We go into the workshop. He teaches us what it looks like and then he actually transforms us into the kind of people that love peace instead of hate. The kind of people that love our neighbor instead of judging them. And more and more, the fruit grows naturally off of a tree uh, versus being things that we're trying to manufacture on our own. So where does this take us? Math, uh, Deuteronomy 5, the, the categories of tools into Matthew 5, the specific custom tools of Jesus in his day. If we look at our last one, which I said was Ephesians chapter 5, and we read verse 15 and 16, the advice that Paul gives to the Christians in those days, the advice we need to take is look carefully how you walk. How you walk, not as unwise, you know, don't be stupid about this. Don't be blind to this. Don't be deaf, like don't be oblivious, but be wise, like learning, gaining wisdom, spiritual maturity, like skill, becoming skillful and using the tools that Jesus gives us. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. We live in days that are evil. We've got to make use of this time to do something and to be something that Christ is making us into. Therefore, 17, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. This is where it becomes personal. This is what Jesus was teaching in John chapters 14, 15, 16, 17. He said, I'm gonna give you a helper, the Holy Spirit. When my spirit's in your heart, he will remind you of all the things that I have taught you. He will be a counselor. He will give you wisdom. You can rely on the spirit. When you don't know what to say, he'll put words in your mouth. This wisdom will, will speak into you and will come out of you. This counselor, this Holy Spirit of peace, will teach you all the things that I have commanded you and will be with you forever. Jesus, it's actually better for you. It's to your advantage that I go so I can give you this spirit. So ultimately, the master gives us his spirit, which gives us the tools, which gives us the skill, which teaches us further and further skill, and we become wiser and less foolish. When we live in a generic sort of way, we're foolishly probably dishonoring God in so many ways we have no idea about. And we're naively heading towards a confrontation with God where we'll find ourselves having missed the boat, sin, you know, missing the mark in so many ways that we weren't even aware of. Let's not make ourselves naively confident and complacent. Let's dig in deeper and say, what does it look like to not covet? That's one of the categories of tools. And Jesus said, don't build up treasure on earth. And then we look at civil unrest. We look at losing our jobs. We look at losing our money. And we're like, how could this ever happen? What's going to happen? And our, our fear goes up. And, and Jesus said, ooh, maybe there's a specific way I can teach you to apply the tool of not coveting of not being greedy, of not being jealous, of not comparing yourself to the people next to you. Who cares what kind of car they drive? Who cares what kind of home they live in? Who cares what sort of restaurants they go out to eat at? Who cares what sort of vacation they go on? Because this earth is not our home. So if you got a house, great. It's as good as any other house. Do you not even have a house? Well, is God providing for you? Awesome. He's providing for you even without a home. That's possible too. Do you have a lot of money in the bank? Are you trusting that? If it goes away, do you say, well, God will provide and give me daily bread? 
Are you praying for daily bread? Or are you praying for large amounts of cash in the bank so that you don't have to worry about bread for tomorrow? Jesus wants to teach us to be skillful, and we've said this several times in this sermon series. I think that today in America, in American Christianity, we're far more informed and far less skilled than we've ever been in living out this walk of Christ. And I would rather we even be less knowledgeable and intellectual about things, but the things that we do know, things about forgiveness, things about freedom from the love of money, things about judgment and forgiveness and reconciliation, things about joy in the Holy Spirit, things about generosity, that we'd be so skilled in applying them to our lives that our marriages, our finances, our jobs, and our testimony to the world would actually look like Christ instead of us just understanding about Christ but looking nothing like him. So I challenge you, please read through these scriptures, read Matthew 5, read Deuteronomy 5, Matthew 5, 6, 7, and understand what the Lord's will is for your life. And may you end up over time with this beautifully specific, custom-made set of spiritual tools for your faith. And may they bear fruit in your lives. And may you know that God cares about every hair on your head because he's so in tune with your life that he's going to give you a specific way to apply that tool to your situation. And may by that, and may that be a route for you to know how much he deeply cares about your heart. So much so that he's willing to send his son to die for your sins and for my sins. This is a deeply personal God. We are not generic deists. We are followers of Christ. We are his apprentices. May he... Lead us in not doing, in doing, and in being his messengers and ambassadors here in this world, which needs him so much. God bless you this week as he builds your custom tools for your faith.